1: Over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you, I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't
0: get any better than that. Unleash the fury.
3: The players refer to it as heavy air. We're talking about record Minnesota heat 98 degrees, an all time record for the date, combined with about a 60% dew point. Basically, take Arizona heat, combine it with Florida humidity, and that's what you have during the joint practices. But that's not the only reason the air is heavy here in Minnesota. The weight of expectations unfulfilled and the realization that with new decision makers, there are truly no allegiances. It is the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley soon to be joined by tight end Jeff Swaim looking forward to that but Wolf we have news times two on this fateful Thursday for a couple members of the 2020 draft class.
0: You know, Paulie, you're no allegiances. You've been all over this from the very beginning of training camp, talking about that. No allegiances right now. And I think you're right on that in regard to this new culture that is being established here for the Arizona Cardinals. In this new culture, I call it pads, Paulie, you know that. Physicality and accountability and discipline and being smart. I think pads is, is the culture. This is my own culture that I'm observing the Arizona Cardinals, right? And they're pulling every player through that prism of being accountable, being disciplined, being physical. And if you don't fit that culture schematically or culturally, you're going to have a hard time here. And I think we're
3: seeing that right now. The word fit. Most definitely applies to Isaiah Simmons in more than one way, especially when it comes to this scheme. Where did he fit? What position is he best at in the NFL? An elite athlete, elite. The measurables are off the chart. There was a reason he was the eighth pick overall in 2020. But where would he play? Where do you best utilize his skill set? There's a reason that his fifth-year option was not picked up earlier this offseason and earlier today. He was traded to the New York Giants for a seventh-round pick. And you talk about being accountable. Monty Ostenfort, the new GM, was right there meeting the media, and he was asked in particular if the Isaiah Simmons trade was performance-related.
2: Those are always considerations that come into play. And, um, you know, we've had a month of training camp now and the, the two games and, um, you know, hey, there's uh, everybody on our team. There, there could have been better performances for everybody. There could have been, you know, some guys did some good things, some guys do some bad things. So, you know, really it just came down to the opportunity, um, you know, and, and where we were at with the team, we thought it was the right move.
3: He went on to say to the media, Monty Austinport, quote, we always tell the team that it doesn't matter how you got here. It's about what you do for the team now. And then when he was asked about whether this was partially intended to send a message, he said no. That wasn't part of it. But, Wolf, you spent 10 years in a locker room. (laughs) It definitely sends a message, does it not?
0: Yeah, and whether or not he meant to do it, it really doesn't matter. Um, I'll guarantee you right now it sent a message inside of that locker room, understanding that this was the number eight player overall number eight player overall just a few years ago. So once again, it does send a message to that locker room. And again, Monty Ossenfort, I'm sure, didn't mean to send a message to the locker room, but everybody inside that locker room understands that. Listen, you better play with intent. You better play with physicality, and you better be accountable. You better be all of those things. And if you're not, you're not going to be brought in here you're not gonna you're not gonna go out and bring some college kid into your organization that doesn't have those qualities. You're not gonna do it. This is the culture that is being established here and dogma is what is at the core of it. Belief. And you can see that with JG and Monty and the team they're building.
3: And when you talk about building a team, we're gonna get into these trades in-depth coming up here on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. In fact, it will take us a moment just to tabulate all the draft picks the Cardinals have in the 2024 draft. It's stunning at this point because, you know what, later in the day, they took Josh Jones, a seventh-round pick, traded him to the Houston Texans, in return for a fifth-round pick. (laughs) Yet another member of the 2020 draft class. And as I mentioned, we'll get into all that in-depth a little bit later. But here we are in Minnesota, two joint practices. Let's just say today was better than yesterday. Let's just say, speaking of accountability, the players heard about yesterday and how the coaches wanted a better effort as a follow-up. And Greg Dorch, he was asked about that today. Super proud. Coaches got on our ass, um, and we came out and we responded. um, And that's what good teams do. Um, And we have to just build off of this practice and try to do it again. Yeah, he wasn't the only one. Zavin Collins told the media afterwards. He said, quote, we were challenged yesterday. We kind of came out, let some outside factors affect us that we shouldn't have. Zach Paschal had mentioned, you know, um, yeah, there was uh, an issue with the humidity and the heat. There's no doubt about it. But it was all part of the plan in some regards because, Wolf, it's that uncomfortability, right, that these players are feeling. Whether it's the heat and the humidity, whether it's their status on the roster, um, these decision-makers are trying to get the best out of everyone and get them regular season ready.
0: Yeah, something tells me that J.G. got up in front of the team and lit them up. I mean, lit them up in a big, big way after Wednesday's practice. We saw it out there. There were pre-snap penalties. We have not seen pre-snap penalty. We have not seen a plethora of pre-snap penalties the way that we've seen in the past here in Suddenly, they were all over the place in Wednesday's practice, and Also, too, just getting whipped at the point of attack, physically getting whipped, and especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I really thought the offense came out and totally did a 180. They were physical. They came off the ball. They were buttoned up. The mental errors were gone. There were no pre-snap penalties that I saw. They were physical at the point of attack, and they had a great Practice Now, listen, I will tell you, um, yeah, is it practice? Yes, it is. And did you have a bad practice on Wednesday and a great practice on Thursday? Yes, that is the case. But if you are going into a game, that's the way I want it to trend, Paulie, where you have a great practice on Thursday. Yeah, you kind of choked on Wednesday but had a great one on Thursday. I'll take that all day long. At least you showed you're capable
3: of it. It wasn't based on a lack of talent. As Josh Woods said after practice yesterday, quote, we let the weather dictate how we were attacking our work. And we're going to see on film that we weren't maximizing our effort. So some of the team leaders, a former team captain like Josh Woods, JG, got up in front of the team. I'm sure that message was clear because you're right. All the pre-snap penalties in the first practice. There were there were Minnesota defenders in the backfield I mean, constantly. There was no downfield passing attack by the Cardinals offense in that first practice going 11-on-11. 11 11. The
0: point of attack was yeah. awful. All that there was, was no point of attack.
3: That was remedy today. Uh, and, then, and then, look, you're going to get a heck of a test out of the Vikings offense as well. you got Kirk Cousins. you got Justin Jefferson. You have experienced offensive linemen. You, you have a system they're comfortable in, Kevin O'Connell from a playoff team. So well, it's all about getting ready for week one. And everyone that I talked to agreed that they got a lot more out of these two practices than they would have had just practicing against each other once again at State Farm Stadium.
0: Yeah, and also, too, Paulie, they just got to continue. They got to continue to build that culture. And it's not just personnel in which you build that culture, of course. It is scheme and how you go about your business. And this is what I really like because I saw them respond respond today going out, and suddenly there was 13 personnel right from the very first team period. There was 13. Don't tell me, Paulie, that was by accident. I don't believe that was by accident. I believe they got lit up on Wednesday night, and suddenly there's Drew Petzing. He comes out in 13 personnel, and he's like, here we go. We're going to cram the ball vertical, and we're going to give you the opportunity to show us immediately that Thursday is not Wednesday, if you know what I mean.
3: There's a reason we have a blocking tight end on this edition of the Big Red Rage. (laughs) Jeff Swaim is joining us coming up a little bit later. Uh, Takeaways. Who stood out? What stood out? Can I throw this out there? Clayton Toon got better over these two practices. Clayton Toon created a little bit of a buzz. The fifth-round rookie quarterback out of Houston with 44 career starts under his belt. Clayton Toon um, was – A guy who looked comfortable running the Cardinals offense and doing it against a pretty stout Vikings defense that has a really aggressive defensive coordinator in Brian Flores. And conversely, not that I'm here to fan the flames of any sort of quarterback competition or controversy. Oh,
0: you're going to fan the flames.
3: Colt McCoy did not slam the door shut on the competition either. I'm really curious where this stands going into the final preseason game. As you know, I've created the hashtag, let the Rook cook. <laughs> Give him three quarters against the Vikings on Saturday and then call the football doctor in the morning.
0: Well, yeah, you're going to do that. I still think that Colt McCoy is going to be the starter of week one. That's just me, Paulie. But we'll see how it all shakes out here. Let me just say, uh, who did I think was impressive out there? I really like what I'm seeing from Lecky Fotu. Mm. I like a photo gap. I like what I'm seeing from Lecky photo uh, L j. Collier as well. Oh my goodness, um, he flashed. Uh, B.J. O'Julari with a couple of really nice pass rushes and one-on-one right there. I also thought, too, Keontae Ingram. You talk about who flashed. James Conner had some nice runs today, but Keontae Ingram, once again, a guy that I think has solidified that position of RB2 right now, Greg Dorch. And, oh, by the way, look, everyone, it's Michael Wilson. This guy continues to show up. Have you noticed that, Paulie? Continues to show up. The
3: fact he hasn't played that much in the two preseason games, I think, tells you everything. They've seen enough on Michael Wilson. They already trust him. And going against uh, Byron Murphy, for example, he's physical enough to body a Byron Murphy and get between an experienced quarter like Murph and the quarterback to make a contested catch, strong enough with the hands. But getting back to Leckie Foto, I completely agree. The, arguably, the Vikings' best offensive lineman is their center, Garrett Bradbury, and Lucky foe owned him repeatedly in those one on one drills. Whether it was getting through he's him, getting with better. ripping the arm through, or just a flat bull rush with 330 plus pound Lucky foe uh, it was impressive to watch him. It's the light bulb going on in the shed. Well, guess what? There are two guys left from the 2020 draft class. So if he's motivated. Maybe you looked at Josh Jones and Isaiah Simmons. Hey, it is episode 61 of the Dave Pash podcast. Cardinals defensive coordinator Nick Rollis available now wherever you get your podcasts. We continue with the Big Red Rage from Minnesota presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Big third down for the Cardinals. A minute to go here in the third.
2: Third and five for the Vikings on their 30. Shotgun snap to Cousins. Straight drop back. In trouble. Hit. Ball is fumbled. Isaiah Simmons chopped it out, and Isaiah Simmons recovers it. What a play. Two plays by Isaiah Simmons. He strips the ball, and then he recovers it big time by the former top 10 pick.
0: The X Factor. Isaiah Simmons came on a blitz, beat his man, got his left paw out, and knocked the pig away from Cousins. A strip sack for isaiah simmons
3: the big play wasn't the problem it was the consistency play in and play out isaiah simmons who has all the measurables 6'4, runs that four-three-nine 40 uh, you see the length and but it just never materialized into a single position where he could excel at and because of that he is no longer a member of the arizona cardinals so at least that's one of the Numerous reasons. As we welcome back into the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley in Minnesota after a couple of joint practices against the Vikings. Jeff Swaim, Cardinals tight end, going to join us momentarily. But once again, the big news earlier today, Isaiah Simmons dealt in the New York Giants for a seventh-round pick. He was in a contract year. His fifth-year option was not picked up earlier in the offseason. So, Wolf, just gauge your degree of surprise when you heard the news
0: yeah i was pretty shocked paul only from the standpoint that it was a seventh round pick um isaiah simmons as well um we know how up and down he's been from time to time um it tells you how inconsistent isaiah simmons truly played i think last year when they look at the tape and go back and watch it I think it really shows how inconsistent he was. He flashed. There's no doubt about it. And We saw the games that he flashed. You know, you think of that Raiders game on the road where he he caused the fumble, picked up the ball, and suddenly there it is, Byron Murphy, taking it back for a touchdown, as I recall. Yep. So, you know, again, he makes the big play, but it's the mundane play. That I think um, you've got to look at, and I think that was his undoing, Paulie.
3: Well, think about it. He started last season with the green dot in his helmet. He was yes. calling the defense, wow. but by the fourth quarter against Kansas City, that job belonged to Zayvon Collins. Man. He didn't start that Raiders game, but he finished it, literally finished the game, causing that that fumble that was returned for the game-winning uh, touchdown. So, with all that being said, you had Isaiah Simmons who. Played about a half dozen different positions over the course of his Cardinals career. The highest percentage of snaps he got last year was actually at slot corner. We know he's drafted initially, originally, to be that weak side inside linebacker, but this year had mainly been a deep center field safety.
0: Yeah, he was, Paulie. And once again, I think that is part of the problem with Isaiah Simmons. You know how I feel about this. I've been saying for the last few years that I, I would love to see them take Isaiah. Stick him at one spot and say, this is your job description right here. This is what you've got to do, A, B, C, and D. Isaiah, this is what you do, A, B, C, and D. This is what you have to do. Just let him learn one position. Maybe it was a situation where they tried him out and they thought they gave him that one position spot, and yet he wasn't learning it. So then they started moving. I have no idea what it was, Polly, but to me right now, I think ultimately the X factor actually ended up hurting Isaiah Simmons.
3: When he was originally drafted, what did Vance Joseph say? He was drafted to cover the tight end, yet against a Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. That didn't work out in the Cardinals' favor. So there he was earlier in camp, and he was asked, all right, so how did you end up playing safety? And Isaiah Simmons told the media that he told the coaches he didn't want to play linebacker. So if he doesn't want to be in the box – and he wasn't good in space as a deep center field safety. What do you do? Uh, Well, Jonathan Gannon was asked by the media just about everything involved and how uh, Simmons, you know, he was there, but they just didn't necessarily have a place for him on the depth chart.
2: He did everything that we asked him to do. It's just moving forward, we feel like this is the best way that how we want to play football against other people. So uh, we're going to try to put the best – Guys out there that can function and do a good job for us, and that's what we felt like. And what
3: everybody saw in that Kansas City game, Wolf, you know, we've seen it in minicamp. We saw it in training camp. Yeah. Just didn't look natural. At, it didn't seem to have those instincts to play that safety spot.
0: Yeah, you know what, Polly and once again, I just kind of wonder about it. Um, you know, this new regime that has come in here, they did not draft. Isaiah Simmons, they did not coach Isaiah Simmons. Now all of a sudden, here they are in their first year trying to do that and establish that. It really shows how bad of a fit he was from a cultural perspective and also schematically, from what they wanted schematically. And I think that ultimately is what got Isaiah Simmons right there, just the fact that. He went out there, and especially the inconsistency that we have seen from time to time, and then against Kansas City in the number two preseason game, which has taken on that whole new import of preseason game number three when there used to be four preseason games. Now all of a sudden that preseason game number two is a big game, and he went out there and he struggled, and it wasn't just on the Bouchelle uh quarterback run for a touchdown it also was on some other plays you could see where he seemed to show a lack of effort on some plays and i think that is one of the reasons why he also is gone because after the game um there wasn't a lot of accountability there paul that's just my take on that i nobody's told me that that's just me looking from the outside in
3: there's no doubt that in week one, Washington would have targeted him. It's a game of matchups. There's no doubt they would have tried to isolate him in certain matchups. I've said before, Isaiah Simmons to me is the NFL blot test. You look at him, what do you see? Yep. Different personnel evaluators see different positions. I think the one lesson is you can't just draft measurables because he checks every single box in terms of being an elite athlete. but. Does he have a position? I
0: mean, You know what? I'm hoping somebody finds him a position because I love the kid. I hope he finds success in the future somewhere else, but it certainly was not
3: happening here. Yeah, and, and whether the decision makers know it or not, uh, it had an impact on the players in that locker room, starting with today's practice. In fact, after practice, here's what DJ Humphreys had to say about the Isaiah Simmons trade, lighting a
2: fire. Young guys seeing it, that's never really even seen someone get traded, let alone a first-round pick, you know what I mean? I think it definitely put a fire on a lot of those young guys. Like A guy like me, I, that's something that I already knew was a part of the business. Um, obviously, I hate to see my guys, they go. I hate to see him leave. I know he'll go to New York and, and, and figure things out and get it rolling for his career, though.
3: You know what's amazing, too, Wolf, is that when he was originally drafted, our, really our only question at the time was, was he going to be physical enough? Was he capable and willing? Yeah, of tackling, that was never really was a not question. The problem? He was physical. He was
0: aggressive. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it consistently, though, Paulie. That is the one thing about it. He he just was, he was physical when he when when suddenly it was a high profile play. That you would see him. He was not afraid. But again, the consistency of being able to play that way. That is what has been brought into question.
3: And when we saw Antonio Hamilton playing a lot of nickel corner against Kansas City, you started to wonder. Because, okay, if Antonio Hamilton is on the field, guess what? You're not taking Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson off that field. That's coming at the expense of Isaiah Simmons. And if Antonio Hamilton, a bigger corner, an experienced corner, can handle that nickel position that you might have put a JT or Buddha into well guess what now Isaiah becomes that much more expendable so if you read between the lines they were building up to that moment and trying to assess what they had and again once Isaiah wasn't deemed capable of covering the elite tight ends that's originally where he was drafted that was going to be his job description so you had that and then you had the Josh Jones trade Third-round pick, 2020, same draft as Isaiah Simmons, 6'7", 3'10". Had all the measurables, played four years as starting left tackle at the University of Houston. He was dealt to the Texans along with a seventh-round pick in return for a fifth-round pick. Ostensibly lost the swing-tackle battle with Kelvin Beecham.
0: And there it is right there, Calvin Beecham actually coming through, and uh, it appears as though he is going to be that backup swing-tackle right now. Not really a surprise because, you know, the the way that I feel about Calvin Beecham, this guy is a team leader. He is a pro's pro, if ever there was. And the fact that you can have this guy on the roster, even if he's not starting for you, I think is a major plus going forward, especially with all the young guys that are going to be on this team.
3: And honestly, Kelvin Beecham has more positional flexibility than a Josh Jones. Josh Jones played those four years of left tackle, told the media how much more comfortable he was on the left side. Combined with the fact he was much more of a tackle than a guard. Guard didn't really work out a couple years ago when they needed him in a pinch. So if you have Kelvin Beachum who can play either side, he can play either position, tackle or guard, he just becomes the more valuable player to get you out of a pinch, get you out of a game, if you're only going to address eight offensive lines.
0: And I also think, too, Paulie, the offensive line um, and the depth on the offensive line along with the secondary as well, I think come cut down day, I think it's going to be really interesting, the waiver wire. I could see Monty Austin and J.G. working that waiver wire four or five spots on this roster.
3: Speaking of Monty Asenfort working, he now owns 12 picks total in next year's draft. Hello. Six in the first three rounds, if you presume that they're going to get a compensatory pick for Zach Allen. So... <laughs> Cardinals are tracking towards owning the 2024 draft at this point. Hey, single game tickets on sale now. Go to azcardinals.com/slash-buy-tickets to secure your seats today. All right, Wolf's favorite position group we all know is offensive line. Uh, second favorite, not fullback, since it's almost distinct. How about blocking tight end? Jeff Swaim is next in the Big Red Rage.
2: County Hill, the fake to Henry on third down to the end zone, touchdown. The tight end, Jeff sweep Jeff's doing an excellent job for us, good skill set, one that's a little bit different from the guys we have on the roster, which is cool. And, um, you know, he's just he's improving his game, learning the system, all those things, and producing at a high level when his number's called.
3: Well, the offense this year for the Arizona Cardinals. Should we go with free the tight end, let the tight end cook? I mean, what do you think? What should we go with? Because it is going to look different this year and everyone needs to get themselves ready for the re-emergence of the tight end. Let the tight end cook, like Paul.
0: It. I like, I like that right there. I,
3: like I love the signing of Jeff Swaim who joins us now. This team realized, you know what? We have a need. We're going to go out and Jeff Swaim checks that box and he joins us now on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Not that far removed from a joint practice here in Minnesota, Zach Paschal said he lost 12 pounds by the time that practice was done. <laughs> Speaking of cooking, are, are you a guy who will sweat off like 10 pounds or something in one of those ridiculous heat index practices?
2: Uh, maybe not 10, but I, <laughs> I played my year. I played in Jacksonville. I learned if I'm not in the game or if I'm not in practice taking a rep, I am just drinking fluid. So I only lost maybe a pound and a half, two pounds a day, but that was just because I, I just spent my whole time drinking when I wasn't in there.
0: So, Jeff, um, you like to get bloody knuckles. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you like to mix it up. And yeah. I played 10 years, and that's what I like to do too. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I loved. Listening to J.G. right there, it was interesting. He said he, he's got a good skill set. What is your skill set?
2: Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm a blocking titan and that's what I like to do, and it's, it's what I've made a career of doing. So, yeah, I feel comfortable in that role and I want to be in an offense that allows me to, to do that because it's it's what I like to do.
0: The Tennessee Titans. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the Tennessee Titans. Man, do they love to run the ball. Mm-hmm. They love to pound the ball. How did you get out of that organization, Jeff, if in fact oh. you are, because you're the best blocking tight end they had on their roster? Now that's me. That's just my assessment of that, watching you play. And you have been for years. Mm-hmm. So how did that? Come to a close for
2: you? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know because I'm not in there in those in those meetings. Um, I think just with the, the when they changed offensive coordinators, um, I think they're just they're just going maybe a little bit of different direction. You know, I, obviously I watched a little tape because they played Minnesota last week in their preseason game, so I got to watch their offense versus Minnesota's defense. That's just kind of as i was studying and um, you know a lot of the same similar concepts, but they just. I don't know if I had to guess, just going younger and and uh, yeah, trying to get a youth movement, so kick the old guy out. <laughs> and a new
3: GM Yeah, in Tennessee. Yeah. The fact there's a new head coach and a new GM with the Arizona Cardinals, can't anger use the word uncomfortable the other day? Just there's sort of that vibe, right? No one's quite sure what the decision makers are thinking. How would you describe? I mean, this is your ninth season. What are your takeaways on the vibe in this camp?
2: I mean, I, I've really enjoyed my time. I've, I've liked the uh, – I've liked the way they've set things up and the scheduling. Um, all that stuff has been great. Um, you know, I'm taking care of me, which is, which has been good. We still get our work in though. And, and, you know, I know Monty from, from uh, Tennessee. So, you know, I have some, you know, we didn't spend like a ton of time together, but I know him well enough to, to know what he's about. And I like the way he, he goes about his business. Um, obviously I'm not real privy to any of those conversations. So I couldn't tell you like necessarily, you know, how they're running the show, but, um, yeah, we're just all getting to know each other, you know. It's the same thing, you know, I think first time play callers and it's it's all new, you know, so there's a lot of growth that has to that has to happen. There's a lot of uh maturity from a team standpoint, just just a lot of things to work on and, and that's what camps all about, so I'm not it's not a surprise. But um yeah, certainly with new staff, everyone's got new opportunities, I'm a new guy here, it just it all feels kinda like the I got here was like the first day of school, you know, I mentioned that, so
0: you know, with Drew Petzing as the offensive coordinator on this team and knowing how much he loves 12 personnel and 13 personnel as well, was that something that was appealing to you when you came here or or is it just something that you said, hey, you know what, I'm going to be given the opportunity, let me play?
2: It was a little bit of both. You know, like you, you need a job, so you you, <laughs> you need a job, right? But, uh, no, I, I, I've – I knew his background in Cleveland, and I knew kind of how they they ran the ball. And and when I spent my years in Tennessee, you know, uh, Cleveland didn't get a lot of like uh, national media, you know, attention. But they ran the ball, man. That's what they did. And um, obviously, I played with Austin Hooper last year in Tennessee, and he had been in that offense. So That's I kind of right. I kind of knew their style of ball, and I thought it would be a good fit. And I saw an opportunity to like kind of define a role here that would be that would be in my wheelhouse. So I, yeah, I jumped at it. I think your head coach would probably agree with you on that front. In fact,
3: leads me to this question. What's coming? What sort of commitment to the run game do you think we can expect this season, Jeff?
2: Well, there's some wait to be seen. You know, like uh, I, throughout camp we've been just you know, trying different stuff and um, working on our game and just trying to nail the details of each specific scheme. Because you can you can throw a lot of things on the wall on the wall and drop a lot of different schemes, but you have to put in reps. You have to put in the time to get good at what you what you're doing. And I think that's something that will develop um, as the season goes on. You know, I don't know how Drew looks at it, but just the identity of the team, the identity of the run game, the identity of everything develops as you progress. It's not something that you just outline and that's it sticks. Like yeah, you have your objectives and you have your goals and the way you're going to run your team and, and your offense. All those things, you know, stay, but what you get good at and what you turn into as an offense, that comes from playing games, and so we can talk all we want in the, in the offseason, we can talk in training camp, and we can run a myriad of different things, but it's going to be what we put on the field, you know, and that's going to be from week one, you know, week 10, you should obviously know who you are by then, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's going to grow from week one to then, so.
0: So, Jeff, here we are, joint practices with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, how's it going? And, by the way, do you enjoy joint
2: practices? I do more now. I'm, I was joking around with someone the other day when I was – I think it was my rookie year. I was playing with the Cowboys, and we had a joint practice with the then St. Louis Rams. And I remember it was like one of my first days out there, and uh, I was going – we were doing like an inside run drill, and I, I kept just going against Chris Long. <laughs> and he had this low four-point stance. He was super low to the ground, and I just there was nothing I could do to like block him. There's nothing I can do. And I was just every time I'd get back in the back of the line before I had to go again, i had, like three or four plays before I had to go back in. I was just sitting there like, there's nothing I can do about this. And I was so I remember just being like so like overwhelmed, not knowing how to do this. Um, but those things were really instrumental in teaching me how to block. Um, I, obviously, I came in as a blocker, but learning how to block kind of through going against some of the better defenders um yeah kind of set me up to to be forced to grow and so now i look at the joint practices as less they're not like this like and when you're young it can, it can kind of be a, b- a big moment you know um but as i get older now it's just an opportunity to test myself against guys that are obviously good players and they've got a they've got a, a really good front and a good defense and so for me it's i look at it more like i can attack
0: do you talk to some of the young guys about this stuff? Do you are you one of these guys you like to share your wisdom with some of these young guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much I'd call it wisdom. Um, you know, I I, I want to make sure that I don't overstep, and a, a young guy who's learning an offense, I also don't want to overwhelm them with too much because mm-hmm. that's not helpful. Um, and not trying to f- do show him what I'm doing to make him a version of me it's like what does he do well what does he need to hear so that he can develop because everyone's body positioning and the way they're built is different and so you can't just one size fit all approach and so I'm trying to learn um I'm trying to listen more than I talk and um I do find myself talking frequently though <laughs> I'll say that
3: how much did you learn from Jason Witten Jeff Swaim is our guest so you started your career as you mentioned with Dallas oh, yeah
2: um yeah so I got to I got to Dallas in 2015 and and I've been watching Wit since I was like a kid, you know. And so him and Jeremy Shockey and these guys that I had been watching, you know, coming up, and my position coach, who got me drafted, he was Shockey's coach as well. So I, there was this connection there. And then um, I got to learn through Wit, but you know, he taught me a ton, man. He really did. He taught me a ton. But it wasn't as much like what he was saying. It was like same thing with kids. Like they 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 watch and they do what you do, you know. And so he was a good example of how to practice the right way how to how to learn you know he'd have me 45 minutes an hour after after meetings were done we'd be in the film room and he would just be grilling me about something and not like in a harsh way but just yeah. like he was really passionate about football and about being detailed and approaching it with the correct mindset like with the the attention that it deserves and needs and requires and so I I, I really gravitated to that because I was a detailed guy and and not being the strongest guy in the world, I had to learn how to use technique and and he was really, really good at that, and so I learned a ton from him man I really did and but most of it was just how to approach the game the right way, how to approach your studying and how to how to just be a pro you know.
0: jeff how How long do you want to play
2: as long as it let me? <laughs>
0: So okay, so you're totally adopting an old school mentality on this. Yeah. Basically, you know what? Uh, you're gonna have to rip the jersey off my back. Is yeah. that what you're
2: saying? I used to have, I used to get asked that, and even in the past, like I only arrived at that conclusion maybe six months ago. <laughs> you know, I'd have all these. I don't know. We'll see. You know. But then, <laughs> right. like, the truth is, man. Like, I, I, I love playing football. Um, I can't think of a of a cooler thing to do, and I enjoy, I enjoy it so much more now. And so, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue it as long as I can. You know, I don't want to be out there gimping around, not able to play. But I have I have that sneaky feeling that I'll never get to that point. <laughs> They'll kick me out long before I get that old. You know, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna ride it till the wheels fall off. I think. love it. Yeah.
3: As we wrap up with Jeff Swaim, is it Does this team have four distinctly different tight ends? Zach Ertz is different mm-hmm. than you versus yeah. a Trey McBride versus a Noah Tongi'i. Yep. I mean, those are all. The, you guys all have really different skill sets, even though you're all technically tight ends.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think that's. I don't know that I've been in a room that's had so much diversity and skill set. I've been in a lot of, you know, a few other tight end rooms, and I played with some some pretty good tight ends, and I've learned a lot from tons of different perspectives. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's kind of an odd thing to walk in the room and like ask how see how Zach plays the game, and then watch like, Trey's ability to move in space is, is pretty cool. Um, and then, like, watching Noah and the fluidity with which he plays the game, you know, I, I I take a ton away from those guys. And that's what I'm saying about the listening part of it. Like, is I do talk a ton, but I do watch, like, watch how they play. And, and it is cool to see the difference in, in their skill sets.
3: By the way, the Cowboys get so much media coverage. And I remember all those epic joint practice fights they had over the years. Were you ever involved in one of those melees? Oh, you remember this, the the Rams
2: one about eight years ago?
0: You were involved in that?
2: I was there. I wasn't involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was on the other side of the field. And I had to run like yeah. 120 yards to get there, and I was like, oh, "You guys got it." I'm gonna hang yeah. out over here.
3: But your year in Jacksonville, this heat and humidity is nothing compared to Jacksonville, right? So, right. yeah, right. that's yeah. good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, we enjoyed thank it. Thank you, man.
3: Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Cardinals tight end Jeff Swain from Cardinals joint practice here on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert.
2: Sets up, throws pass there, touchdown! Tyler Simmons. Dobbs just got rid of it, and Simmons got his head around, and the ball was waiting for him.
3: What's that old saying, Wolf? These things happen in threes. So yeah, I think the, that's it, Paul. If the day started with Isaiah Simmons being traded to the Giants for a seventh rounder, And then midday, towards the end of this second joint practice, Josh Jones was dealt to Houston along with a seventh-round pick for a fifth-rounder. Let's see, what would happen at the end of today? I don't know, Paul. Some type of trade, possibly. Reports out of the NFL Network that the Cardinals have traded for Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs, the backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? with connections to the titans because his first two starts of his career were late last year the final two games for the titans after they lost ryan Tannehill. Malik Willis struggling, Monty Austin Ford, and that front office in Tennessee brought in Josh Dobbs after he was released from Cleveland because Deshaun Watson had come back, and Jacoby Brissett at the time was the backup. But you're following the musical quarterbacks. I'm Bolton.
0: trying to follow it. Yes, Paulie. How about you right now? I, Josh Dobbs. I don't know too much about Josh Dobbs other than the fact that he's 6'3", and he's 220 pounds. He's got some pretty good size to him right now, and, This is a guy that was drafted, what, in the fourth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, as a matter of fact. He's played eight games in the National Football League and started two, Paulie, and he was
3: up and down in those two affairs. Here's the thing. Tennessee had a very poor supporting cast around him in those last two games. I think we can all agree with that. It's one of the reasons why Monty has done deals with the Titans. I think maybe he has some inherent knowledge. This is just me thinking out loud that the Titans might not be very good this year, and there's a chance between Houston and Tennessee struggling that the Cardinals could have three picks in the first 75 or next year think about that just because of all the trades yes
0: Polly what does this make you think of right now what does this portend you go out and these reports that are out there right now you go out and acquire josh dobbs and bring him in what do you think that portends Polly well let's see
3: um you're gonna have to fill a certain amount of games until kyler murray returns yes If he is not on the 53 on Tuesday, that means he is staying on PUP. That means he's going to miss at least the first four games of the year. Yes. So now you have a decision to make. What did I say to start this edition of the Big Red Rage brought to you by Santan Ford? And Gilbert, we are Santan Ford, that to me, the QB competition, as it was, was still ongoing because not only has Clayton Toon slowly but steadily improved – Not only did he make plays against that Vikings defense, not only did he run with the ones quite a bit the last two days here in Minnesota, but Colt McCoy had not slammed the door shut with his own performance. Yes, I would agree with that, Paulie, right now. But, um, you
0: know, you've got David Blau on the roster right now. Maybe this does not. Maybe this is... Not a good thing for David Blau that you go out and get Josh Dobbs. The one thing we know is Josh Dobbs is going to be on the 53-man roster. That much we do know. We know Clayton Toon is going to be on the 53-man roster, and I believe that Colt McCoy will be on the 53-man roster as well as your starter going forward. But once again, um, the quarterback combination in the fact that Josh Dobbs has actually worked, I believe, with Drew Petzing. I think that goes a
3: long way. Yeah, quite a bit in Cleveland. So Drew Petsing has an intimate knowledge of Josh Dobbs and the skill set and what he would bring to the Cardinals' offense. Maybe at this point they've seen enough to think, you know what, um, Josh Dobbs might be a better fit than one of the aforementioned names you just threw out there. Maybe Josh Dobbs, who – had yet to start a single NFL game until those last two games last year, has some potential that he's never been able to show.
0: Boy, that is going to be really interesting, too, because Josh Dobbs is going to be familiar with a lot of the terminology of the Arizona Cardinals. And because of that, now all of a sudden, is it possible that Josh Dobbs could get a little look on, on Saturday as well? I, I think it's entirely possible
3: he comes in they give him a small chapter of the playbook a playbook he's already very familiar with and he's out there getting a look against the vikings backups to get his feet wet and guess what if he's throwing to the right spot and making the right decisions and he has the rest of the offense in sync once again these are real-time decisions and evaluations that are being made By a new set of eyes. Yes. New decision makers who have come in. To a large degree, Drew Pretzing probably knows Josh Dobbs a lot better than he knows Clayton Toon or Cole McCoy combined. (laughs) So he might, you don't know what the OC is thinking or his comfortability factor with the Josh Dobbs versus the two he currently has in the quarterback room.
0: Very interesting right now, but oh my goodness, when we talk about what are you going to be watching? What are you going to be watching against the Minnesota Vikings? When Saturday rolls around, Paul Calvisi, where are your eyes going to be? For, for me right now, I'm going to be watching who's playing quarterback, who is playing quarterback, who's out there actually taking these reps right now. And by the way, how are they doing this is I mean, this if, is amazing the fluidity of what has transpired in the last 48 hours for the Arizona Cardinals in their roster
3: if the 49ers can trade away Trey Lance because of the final pick in the draft Brock Purdy and at least those are the reports Trey Lance is done with the Niners if Washington against the Cardinals can run out there, a fifth rounder from last year's draft who got all of one start last year and Sam Howell, <laughs> nothing precludes the Cardinals from doing any or all of the above that we just talked about. No. So my eyes are most definitely in the quarterback position. There's no doubt about that. Beyond that, corner, the corner position, Keytrell Clark. Uh, He's been running with the ones. I think he outplayed Christian Matthew decisively in preseason game number two. Does Christian Matthew have a bounce yes. back game?
0: If there is one guy that I'm actually going to be eyeballing, one guy, it's going to be B.J. Ojulari. Paul. good one. B.J. Ojulari happened to watch him out there today, of course, going against the Minnesota Vikings. A little one on one, Paul, is what they call it. B.J. Ojulari with a couple of really nice pass rushes and one-on-one right now i'm really going to be watching bj ojalary because i would imagine if if i were nick Rawls and i were jonathan gannon i'd want to get this guy as many
3: reps as i possibly could he could play a lot on saturday guess what dennis gardek did not practice against the vikings Xavier collins making the position switch right so if a bj ojalary goes out there and balls out and puts some good play on film once again we come full circle hashtag no allegiances right he was drafted high second round Boy, you nailed it don't let it go to your head single game tickets on sale now go to azcardinals.com buy tickets to secure your seats today someone tells me you're going to want to buy tickets this year <laughs> this thing is evolving right before our eyes special thanks jim Omahundro, cody fincher lauren Koval. Ron Wolfley, and Jeff Swain, Cardinals tight end. I'm Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Number one, Tyler Murray!
1: You've been listening to the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. <laughs> Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.